All right, so if you have your bulletin, we're going to go back through and do a little, uh, a little review again. Um, and some of these things were on your bulletin last week. But uh, um, the title of the message series is God is Great, God is Good, Then Why All This Evil? Why is there so much evil in the world? But we wanted to establish clearly that regardless of how someone would feel emotionally about God, uh, largely as the result of their circumstances. Our circumstances drive us back and forth and create all kinds of conflicts in us. The, the exigencies of life uh, are, are constantly pulling at us. And so we have to have a strong uh, foundation. And I think there's a strong intellectual foundation for you to have faith. And uh, I don't know that anybody is going to have faith in God simply because I give them reasons. You still have to make that step into the dark, so to speak. But what I want you to see is that um, believing in the existence of an almighty personal God who is intelligent and brought the universe into existence out of his own resources, out of nothing natural, that is a properly basic belief. It's uh, wise. It's intelligent. So the first week we, we just looked at the reality that God is. And so number one in your review, God is or nothing is. The universe has not always existed and nothing cannot produce something. So something powerful, intelligent and personal, we believe, because it has to be something that's uncaused, brought the universe into existence. And so it really makes good sense to say that God, who the scripture uh, gives, gives God the name I am, the self-existent one, that he brought the universe into existence. God is great. Well, that was Anselm's definition for God. He said, God is that which nothing greater can be conceived. So really the greatest conceivable being that is God. And Anselm went even further to say, well, if that, you know, if that is true, that uh, the greatest conceivable being is God, then he has to possess the quality of existence. Therefore, he exists. And a lot of people have had a difficult time with that uh, ontological argument. But I think that his definition applies. God is a being than which or that which no greater can be conceived. He's simply the greatest being. He's the almighty God. But I went further and said that God is great because he is capable of self-limitation. And he did that when he created human beings in his own image with a free will, a will capable of resisting him. Now, God could have chosen to create a completely different race of beings, and he's chosen to create angelic beings, although they have free will as well. That's why there is a Satan. But nonetheless, God could have created anything he wanted, but he chose to create you, a being that is capable of exercising free will and aligning with God, cooperating with God, surrendering to God or resisting God and rebelling against God. And of course, the reason that we live in the world we do is because human beings, beginning with the first couple have rebelled against God. So God is great and that includes his capacity for self-limitation. That's number two. Number three, God proved this by creating people with free will. That's what I just said. That's you and I. And also by becoming human in the only begotten son, Jesus. God limited himself. He emptied himself. That's what the scripture says. Um, Philippians chapter two, it says, have this mind in you, have this same attitude that was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be held on to, but he emptied himself, 
taking the form of a bondservant and being found in appearance as man. And then he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's self-limitation. That's amazing. That's powerful. That's God saying, for a greater purpose, I can even limit my own power. And to me, that's an overwhelming display of greatness, right? So God is great. And then God is good. Um, I made the, uh, the assertion that uh, William Lane Craig makes that there is no way to find an objective good apart from God. That means a good that we can all point to and say, yes, that's good. That, that is what we believe is good. Yes, that is evil. That is what we all believe is evil. Um, God is good. That means it's part of his nature and God's nature defines him, right? So number four, apart from God, there is no objective basis for good. So honestly, you're really stuck with God. <laughs> you really are. And I think that's a good thing, but you need to recognize that. You need to get that into your head when you go through all this difficulty. And man, we've gone through some difficulty as a people and we just continue to see things happening. You know, the situation in Afghanistan and Hurricane Ida, that's just going to be the nature of a fallen world, which is what we're going to talk about today, right? Um, and then number six in that outline, though man, human beings, humankind, uh, are not the physical center of the universe, he appears, we appear to be at the center of its purpose. God created everything with a good purpose and we appear to be at the center of that purpose. And that was really the substance of last week, right? So this week, by way of introduction, if you don't make it all the way through the message, if you don't make it all the way through the series, just listen to this. Why is there evil in the world? Well, first, establish this. Number one, under Paradise Lost, and you're, this is, you're gonna fill all this out at the beginning, and then I'm just gonna roll, and you can write notes or not write notes. But number one, this is not the world that was. Why don't you say that? So the world that was with Adam and Eve prior to the fall was called what? Eden, right? The garden, paradise. And that's why this sermon is called Paradise Lost. And I'll read a passage from a, a, an epic poem written by John Milton of that very title. Number two, this is not the world that will be. Why don't you say that? And that would be what? Heaven. heaven. But heaven is going to come to earth. God is going to remake heaven and earth. He's going to remake you and I, and he is going to make the world the way it ought to be. But right now, it's not the way it ought to be because this is not the world that was. This is not Eden. This is not the world that will be. This ain't heaven, right? And number three, this is not the world as it should or could be. And why do I say that? Well, we can make this world better. You know, we can talk about issues like climate change and we can talk about totalitarians, totalitarianism creeping into our government. And, and we can look uh, at the, the reality that many Christians are not living out their faith. They're not following Jesus. Friend, if you want to make the world better, the reason our church is called Life Well is you can start following Jesus and living your life well and shining that light all around you. And you will make your world better. 
and you will make the lives of the people around you better. So this is not to abandon the world and say, well, it's not the world that was, not the world that will be. It's just a dump. So we're just going to have to live through it. No, you can make your world a whole lot better just by following Jesus, by living according to the wisdom of God. But unfortunately, sadly, I don't even believe in fortune, but this is not the world that would or excuse me, could or should be because we're not doing all that we can do to live the Christian life out. And so finally, and the substance of the message today, this is a fallen world. That's number four. All right. So you've been busy filling that outline out. Now, by way of a, an introduction to the message called Paradise is Lost, here's a passage from Milton's poem of that name. O Eve, in evil hour thou didst give care to that false worm of whomever taught to counterfeit man's voice, true in our fall. False in our promised rising, since our eyes opened, we find indeed and find we know both good and evil, good lost and evil got. Bad fruit of knowledge, if this be to know, which leaves us naked, thus of honor void, of innocence, of faith, of purity, our wanted ornaments now soiled and stained. Paradise is lost. This isn't paradise. This, we see that Eden, paradise, was an experiment. What happens when you give human beings a utopia, freedom, and the opportunity to rebel? Yeah, they rebel. And humans have continued to fall short of God's glory ever since. According to the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve were the first created beings whom God made in his own image. They were given the choice to live in communion with their creator and eat from the tree of life, or to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and pursue self-determination. This is from Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, which describes that temptation by uh, Lucifer and the fall. When the woman saw that the tree produced fruit, that it was good for food, was attractive to the eye and desirable for making one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband, who was with her and he ate it. God clearly commanded the first man and woman not to eat the fruit from this tree. Further, he promised that if they did it, it would result in death. Sin always produces death. Say that. Sin always produces death. This is again from Genesis chapter 3, a little further down, verses 22 and 23. And the Lord God said, now that the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to stretch out his hand and to take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God expelled him from the garden in Eden. So let's talk about conscience. The first couple turned from God life to self life and from being innocent of evil to experimenting with it. God kept them from the tree of life and so condemned them to die. But they didn't die on the spot. They were separated from the author of life, as you and I are. Now, how would they make their way? Well, God graciously gave them and us a conscience, the knowledge of good and evil, which made them ashamed of their nakedness. Since they were no longer in fellowship with God, conscience became the immediate source of moral knowledge for them and for the rest of the human race. We have an intuitive sense that there is good and there is evil. Every human being has that intuitive sense. There is right and there is wrong. 
Conscience gives humans insight into what we might call the moral law. It was once called natural law. Uh, just as God created the, the, the fine-tuning of the universe and the laws of physics, He has created us and designed us to live in accordance with moral law. That moral law is opened up in the Old Testament uh, by the Ten Commandments, but we have an intuitive, we have an instinctive understanding of right and wrong even before we learn rules. Conscience gives humans insight into that moral law. God created the cosmos and he created human beings. There is a way things are supposed to be. Why don't you say that? See, we run around acting like we can just make up our lives, right? Uh, right around the time of graduation, uh, Felix and Autumn uh, did, uh, were part of a, a group up here that did a little uh, I think both of you were there. Well, it was a reader's theater that we did. And it was called Let God Write Your Story. And I think that that's really what we need to get a hold of. We all think that we're the captain of our ship. We're the author of our story. Well, that's true, but where's your story going? Have you ever read a book and you just think, wow, where is this going? This is just dumb, right? Have you ever been to a, the movie theater or maybe been watching a, a movie online and uh, you know, you get like a part of the way through, maybe just a little ways through, maybe even get further. And you're like, this, what? Where's it? I don't understand. There's, there's no rhyme or reason to this story. There's just a bunch of people acting out. That's kind of how people live their lives, right? They just, every story has a beginning, a middle and the end. And the human story does as well. But God is writing that story. However, he's given you the ability, are you ready for it, to improvise. So, uh, we have on Thursday, we have a, a drama club and uh, I've been giving our, our young actors the opportunity to improv. So what I've been doing is I put a couple of stools up here and then I give them, I give one of them a line. It's just a line. That's all it is. We don't tell them who they are. We don't tell them where they are. Uh, we don't tell them what to do. We just give them a line and then they just have to roll with it. Right. They just have to create something out of it. And that's kind of the way we do it. Right. We're down here. We just kind of improvise. But if you're paying attention to the story that God has written, you will find that you do have a part in it. He created you for a reason. He has a character that you are to play and you have plenty of freedom as you play that out. In fact, any good director is going to allow her or his actors to use their own resources to create the character. The more experienced the actors are that I work with, the less I tell them what to do when I direct. I just want to say this is where the story is going and then I want to ask them questions and I want to give them the opportunity to create that character. But it is a character within a play that has already been written. Amen. Oh, that's life. That's where we're at, friends. So um, what I want you to know, though, and what we ought to know is uh, knowledge of good and evil is certainly not all intuitive. There is a basic dichotomy established, good and evil, right and wrong, but humans can and do overwrite their conscience with bad instructions, calling darkness light and light darkness, treating good as evil and evil as good, pursuing wrong as though it were right while rejecting the good God established. We see this regularly in our world. In Nazi Germany, it was considered good to annihilate the Jews. Suicide bombers believe they will be rewarded by Allah if they blow themselves up to kill infidels. Members of Antifa think they are on a righteous crusade when they show up to cause trouble and fight those whom they deem fascists. 
which recently included a peaceful outdoor Christian worship service in Portland, Oregon, where they threw eggs and smoke bombs uh, even into groups where there were young children present. On January 6, 2020, protesters broke into the Capitol in Washington, D.C. because they believed the election was stolen. Yes, friends, we're living in a fallen world, and many have scarred their God-given conscience and chosen to believe something other than the Word of God. Let's talk about uh, this idea that people grasp onto that everyone is a child of God. Even though human beings are made in God's image, we are not naturally God's children. That's why we have to be born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, this incredibly uh, religious man, he said, unless you are born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born of water and the spirit, you can never enter the kingdom. You have to be born anew. You have to be adopted into God's family. Now it's true, if you're reading your Bible, the apostle Paul affirmed to the philosophers of his day that we are God's offspring, that's in Acts 17. Your translation may even say children, but the term in Greek refers to distant ancestors, not a child in the immediate family. Human beings are filled with pride and rebellion and unbelief and selfishness and sin. And our sin puts us at enmity with God. It makes us enemies with God. And because of this, we're under God's wrath and the curse of death. You need to understand that because otherwise you'll be under the, the misinformed perception that this is the utopia, that this is heaven, that we're all just children of God. We're all going to die and we're all going to go to heaven. If we all go to heaven, then heaven will be exactly like earth is now. And earth is pretty messed up. Wouldn't you agree? Right? So something has to happen. We need to recognize that we're separated from our creator and we've lost the ability to innately sense or know him. And there's nothing any of us can do to change that reality, even if we desire to do so. And we don't naturally possess that desire. According to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3, and this is just a little snippet out of 3, he says, and he's quoting from passages in the Old Testament, there, was no, there is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. Well, philosophy and science and uh, speculation and theology may supply evidence for God's existence. And religion speculates about the divine nature. But to go beyond that or to make contact with him is naturally impossible. Now, notice I keep hitting on that word natural. Stay with me here. If someone rejects the supernatural and relies solely upon scientific inquiry to determine what is real, then that person will never make contact with God. It's not surprising to me that many scientists are atheists because they will not look beyond the material or the natural. There's evidence for the existence of God in nature, but all we can know is, uh, from Romans 1, His divine nature and eternal power, not personal qualities like His love or righteousness or fairness. So why is there evil in the world? Again, if you don't listen to the whole rest of the series, listen to this, because this is a fallen world. We are fallen people living in a fallen world, and human beings sin. Now, what is sin? Sin means to fall short. What is sin? sin That's right. That's the, the Greek word hamartia means to fall short. It's like taking your, your pistol or your rifle and aiming at a target and you fire and the bullet doesn't even hit the target. You don't even come close. All right. Pick any analogy you want. It's missing the mark altogether. So sin is failure to be what God designed us to be. 
Sin caused Adam and Eve to be removed from paradise and kept from the tree of life. And sin continues to separate human beings from our good creator. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. This is why people don't know God. Sin. Sin is a barrier between us and God. Sin is the reason death exists. Biologically speaking, our cells continue to renew themselves when we're young, but somewhere in our 20s, cells no longer regenerate as quickly as they die, and thus the march toward the grave begins. Scientists have no good explanation as to why this happens. Why don't we continue to have the energy and the strength of our youth? The Bible's answer is death is God's curse because of sin. Here's a series of verses for you beginning in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God tells Adam, you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then in Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 4, and repeated in verse 20, the soul that sins will die. Why don't you say that? And then this from Romans 6.23, this is the first half of Romans 6.23. I'll quote the second half in a minute, which is the good news. But the bad news, the wages of sin is death. Why don't you say that? What are wages? Yeah, it's what, it's, it's what you're paid for what you do, right? So, uh, you know, wages might include tips. You, really good service. Somebody give you a good tip. Wages might be an hourly wage. Wages might be something that, uh, you know, you earn just because you get paid a certain amount. Uh, but you have to do work in order to get wages. And so the scripture is saying that what we earn with our sin is death. You don't get away with it. None of us ever get away with it. And then finally in James 1.15, and sin when it, when it is full grown gives birth to death. So the apostle Paul called this the law of sin and death. And it is, the, it is as ironclad as any law of physics. Everyone sins and everyone dies. Everyone except the one who never sinned. Who was that? But he died for sin, then rose on the third day to overcome sin for everyone. So that's the bad news. Now that I've dragged you all the way down. Wow, Pastor, we know it's a terrible world. Thanks for telling us. We're just going our way now and muddle through. No, there's, there's hope. There's good news. Amen? God himself did something about our intractable problem. The creator reached down to us by sending his son, Jesus Christ. The other half of Romans 6.23. The first half, remember, the wages of sin is death. The other half is, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Jesus sets us free from the law of sin and death. Remember, I said the law of sin and death is as ironclad as the laws of physics, and you can't get free of the laws of physics. I could climb up all the way on the top of this building. And by the way, I've only done it once. You have to kind of, there's a ladder that goes up. You have to kind of climb over this parapet. And it's kind of cool to be up there, right? But climbing over the parapet, it's just really high up there, right? And I'm not afraid of heights, but I'm also not stupid. And I just don't really want to fall, and I don't like that. But, you know, it, it's like Satan tempted Jesus to do. He took him up to the pinnacle of the temple and had him stand there and said, Now, jump down, because it is written, the scripture says, He will give his angels charge over you, and they will bear you up uh, in their hands lest you strike your foot against the stone. Well, Satan left out a part of that verse. He misquoted it, and he misapplied it. And Jesus simply came back, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. I'm not tempting the Lord my God either. And you should be wise not to do that either. Don't take unnecessary risks. Amen? Because God's not just going to send angels, angels down to throw their arms out. You may show up 
at the, at the, the Bema seat, right, the judgment seat of Christ, and say, wow, I died? And, you know, I don't know if Jesus would talk like this. If I were Jesus, I would. I'd say something like, yep, dummy, you did. <laughs> well, I guess it was just my time. Well, no, you could have lived longer, but you're just dumb. And you take unnecessary risks. And so you killed yourself. So, but I love you anyway, and I died for you, and I'll let you in. But you're just kind of foolish. So, hey, I, I believe that once we get to heaven, there's going to be no tears, there's going to be no suffering. That's what the scripture teaches. But I think there's a day of reckoning, and I think that you and I are going to have to look ourselves square in the face and say, yep, there's a whole lot of things I didn't do that I should have done. And there's a whole lot of things that I shouldn't have done, right? So there, I think there'll be some tears shed at the judgment bar of Christ, but uh, better that than eternity, uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal destruction, and so forth. Jesus sets us free from the law of sin and death right? This ironclad law. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he broke the law of sin and death. Amen? Not as in broke it, uh, as in violated it, but as in destroyed it, set it aside, right? So this is what the scripture says in Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, listen, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Amen? All right, you say, but yes, Pastor, well, we're still going to die. I'm still going to die. Well, unless Jesus returns. But I like uh, the way Dallas Willard has termed this, and I, I quote this verbatim in funerals when I officiate them. But Dallas Willard said, there is a continuity to life and consciousness. He said, you may close your eyes in death here and open your eyes in heaven and not realize you've died for a while. Because there's a continuity of life. You have eternal life now, or at least you can. Right? But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus. The question is, are you in Christ Jesus? And if you are, you possess eternal life now. That is not just quantity of life. That is a quality of life. That's God life. And you have access to that right now. If you are willing to pay attention to the Holy Spirit as he leads you, right? So although we can do nothing on our own, the Son of God has made peace with God through his cross. This is Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified, that means made right by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can't climb Jacob's ladder up to God. Jacob's ladder was established so that the angels and God could come down to human beings. Jesus came down to us. us. You may only receive and realize what I'm saying, not intellectually, not by receiving it here, but by receiving it in your heart, by faith. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Amen? So you do not have, nor can you obtain or attain a relationship with God naturally. There's that word again. God is the only one who may initiate the process of reconciliation, and it was he who paid the necessary ransom for our redemption. Do not presume that you just have a relationship with God naturally. Oh, well, you know, my daddy was a preacher. I've, always, I've been raised in church. I was on the cradle roll. Friend, that doesn't mean that you have a relationship with God. God has no grandkids. Say that. You're either adopted into his family and you're reborn or you're not one of his. And that is based on a decision that you make. That is faith. That is based on faith that you choose to have. So we want 
to raise our children up in the fear and admonition of Christ, I strongly encourage you, bring your kids to church, teach them at home regularly, steep them in the Word of God. But you know what? They still have to make up their own minds. And if God created you with that capability, you have to give them that freedom. And you can't presume that they're Christians just because you say they are. They have to own that. That has to become their own faith. And kids are different. They're not all the same. I'm looking at our kids in this church and they're different than each other. I get the privilege of, of teaching a lot of them at karate and I watch them, right? And sometimes I just kind of sit over to the side and listen to them talk to each other and watch them interact and so forth. And they're different. And so your approach to one of your kids might not work with the other one. You've got to find ways to make the, the ancient of days, the unchanging God, real to this child in an ever-changing world. That's what I used to do in youth ministry, right? So I was goofy, and I don't advocate this, but I used to wear goofy clothes and Doc Martin boots and, you know, say goofy things and whatever, just so that uh, teenagers just love the externals, man. Oh, that's a cool shirt, you know? <laughs> oh, and I love those boots. And they would say things, this is back in the 90s, say things like, that's tight, right? You're all laughing because it's stupid. It really was. <laughs> but anything that you look at is, is, you know, stupid if you look back on it. Do you know, do you want Jerbeau jeans were? Yes. Right? I had a pair of those. I thought I was cool. You know what Jenko jeans were? Yeah. I never had a pair of those. All right. <laughs> you have to make this real to them where they are now, Okay. Um, because God initiates that process of reconciliation. He sends the word down to us, but he sends that word through you to the people that you're going to communicate with, right? Um, the scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Who sinned? Point to yourself, right? And don't point to other people because that's judgmental. But yeah, all of us have sinned, <laughs> fall short of the glory of God. Apart from what God has done in Christ, you and I are lost in a fallen, broken world. Jesus is the only way out. Say that. Jesus is the only way out. Now, is that just a narrow-minded religious claim? Jesus is the only way? No, it's something Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so people have said, you know, I just don't understand why you Christians are so narrow. Why do you say Jesus is the only way? Because Jesus is the only way. If there were one road through the forest from one side to the other and you were to say, no, I, I refuse to take that road. Why does that have to be the only way? But the, the forest was so dense that you couldn't just walk through it. And you say, well, this forest is just so narrow. It only has one road through it. Well, if it only has one road, it only has one road, right? There's only one bridge across uh, a large body of water. You may say, well, that's just narrow. There's only one bridge. But if there's only one bridge, there's only one bridge. That's the point, right? You see, the reality is, and I, I'm going to go through these very quickly, but this is something that I, I, I preach at funerals. Number one, Jesus is the one and only Son of the one and only God. Amen? John 1.18 says, No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God, who's in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. He has made Him known. And then we have this from 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave his life as a ransom for all the testimony given at, one, at the proper time. So there is only one what? God. And there's only one mediator. That's go-between, between men and God. And that is through Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. Number two, Jesus is the only one 
is the only one who has never, who has ever come from heaven to live on earth and then returned there. And Jesus said that in John 3, 13. This is the passage where he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. He said, no one has ever gone into heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Number three, Jesus is the only one who has died for our sins. Nobody else has died for your sins. Why is Jesus the only way? Because he's the only one that's died for your sins. Second Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin became our sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Um, and then 1 Peter 3, 18, for Christ also died once for all, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Nobody else has done that. Further, nobody else could do that. Listen to this from Psalm 47, seven through nine. Uh, to show you that Jesus is the only one who is capable of dying for your sins and everyone else's sins. It says, no man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he shouldn't live forever and not see decay. You see, with another human being, it would never work. Each of us dies for our own sin, but Jesus was capable of becoming all of our sin on the cross and then dying and rising from death, right? And that should be said as well. It's not just that Jesus died for our sins, it's that Jesus rose from the dead to overcome the curse of death. Jesus is the only one who's ever conquered death. Listen to what this says, uh, Jesus is speaking. Uh, Jesus tells uh, Mary, or excuse me, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never will uh, live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then this from 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus conquered death, amen? amen. That's your only hope for eternal life. That's why I, I, I put these things forth at a funeral. I tell people that, you know, folks have all sorts of ideas about the afterlife and about death, but I can't offer anyone any hope apart from being in Christ, who we know overcame death. The rest is speculation, and I think useless, useless speculation. So here's the invitation for you as we close the message today. If you've never done so, why not reach out to God who's reached down to you? How did he reach down to you? Through his son, Jesus, through that cross. And how do you do that? Well, you pray. And prayer is just talking to God like you talk to the person next to you in the room. Now, that might seem second nature to you. Maybe you pray all the time. Or it might seem kind of strange to you. But the Bible promises that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you will call out to Jesus, if you will ask him to save you, then he will send his spirit to live in your heart and paradise can be regained within you. Amen? All right. So we're going to conclude our service. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Now, if you're with us online, if you're here in the room and you have not committed your life to Christ, if you've not put your faith in him, if you've not opened up your heart and asked him to come inside, why don't you do that right now? The world's a mess. It's a fallen world, but you don't have to follow it. You can follow Jesus, and Jesus has cleared a path between heaven and earth and given you a guarantee that you will one day be in heaven with him for eternity because he 
will give you right now the gift of eternal life. Why don't you pray a prayer like this? Put your faith behind these words and say them. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe in you. You are the Son of God. You are the only Savior. I am a sinner and I need to be saved. The world is messed up, Lord, and I need you to pull me out of it. I need you to give me a pathway through it. So I'm opening up my heart right now. I'm inviting you to come inside. Take control of me. Lead me. I will follow you. Jesus Christ, you are Lord. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like to know it. If you're here in the room, you can fill out one of these little feedback cards and you can put it in the uh, offering box, which is on the right side as you go out the door. If you're online or if you're here in the room, you can use your mobile device, go to our website, lifefulchurch.com, click the feedback tab and leave the feedback there and say, there's a place that asks if you made a decision today. Indicate the decision that you made if you prayed with me just now. Uh, give us feedback on anything else, all right? We appreciate you so much. We wanna help you grow in any way that we possibly can.